Welcome to episode three of the Puck and Hoop podcast. This is that podcast. The exhibition seasons continue in Puck and Hoop, which means we have no shortage of news and notes to discuss from both leagues. And after five preseason games in the NHL, the regular season draws ever closer, which means we're getting a pretty good idea of how our favorite NHL teams are shaping up for the 22-23 season. This is episode three of the Puck and Hoop podcast. All right, right off the bat, Keith, let's get into some news and notes. And we've got some news about the NHL Global Series. There's been an update. It seems like the ban, uh, the Czech Republic banning Russian players from playing in the Global Series has been removed. Yeah, you know what? That's, uh, you know, great news. I mean, I understand that what's going on in the world, and the world and sport have always been intertwined. Sport has always been political. The NHL does a good job of not making it political, but in this case, I can understand where the um, the, the groundswell for that Russian players to be banned came from. I'm glad they've worked it out, and hopefully, you know, the series goes on and continues to go on year after year without it. No question, and I'm sure the dominator, Dominic Hajik, who was behind the movement for the play of uh, the NHL teams not to take place in the Czech Republic, is a bit disappointed so we're probably not the last we've heard from him on this matter we'll look forward to hearing more about that down the road um also in the world of news and notes we've seen a couple of previews come down the pike as the regular season draws near about what conferences in nhl is better and for my money right now it's got to be the eastern conference which once again as was the case last year is loaded and it kind of replicates what's going on in the nba east seems to be the beast these days um what do you make of the Eastern Conference being the best conference? You know what? It's funny because traditionally, or in the last few years, I'd say going back the last decade, it's been the West. Yeah. The West, the big monstrous forwards. And so, yeah, but I mean, I don't think you can deny it. I mean, look at what happened last year in the East. Florida was a juggernaut. Yeah. Carolina, maybe one of the most fun teams to watch. Mm-hmm. Celebrations after each goal <laughs> was like for for most of the season. Carolina at one point I thought they were going to end up on top. Last it year. certainly looked like it. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were end up on top. Of course, you got Tampa, three-time conference champion, mm-hmm. representing in three straight years, representing the Stanley Cup. And with for my money, it's sort of weird for me. It was almost like a down year for Tampa, and I want to see if. I know they made the Stanley Cup final. And like I know, yeah, you like if that's a down year, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Being a Leafs fan that I am, you know, Stamkos. By the way, I just have to say, had a wonderful year. Uh, yeah, he really turned back the clock. Yeah. yeah, highest point total ever in the season. Mm-hmm. One hundred six points. Yeah, one hundred five. But it's amazing. So the the um, it's not even top heavy. It's not top heavy. You've got eight solid teams in the NHL. What was I? You know what? Let me strike that. The eight teams really feasted on the bottom teams. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, you know, some years you have that, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, are all clumped together. Mm-hmm. This year there was a huge drop off. It was like seven and eight, hundred points, <laughs> nine, ten, yeah. 80. And I expect that to continue. Well, I'm going to interject here. I don't think that actually is going to continue because I think I think (laughs) Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit are all improved by leaps and bounds in the offseason. So they're not going to be quite the cannon fodder they were last year. I don't think Florida is going to run away from the rest of the league like it did last year for sure. Overall. The whole, the entirety of the Eastern Conference is going to be more competitive this season. I mean, look what New York did last season. I mean, with Igor Shosturkin backstopping them, they to me that's that might be the team to beat in the Eastern Conference this year. I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to pull it out on top. Not that I don't want the Leafs to win the entire thing as always, but the competition in the Eastern Conference from top to bottom is is incredible. And you know, we haven't even mentioned Washington who are probably in the dying ends of their reign as one of the top teams in the league. But they're still going to be a factor. Pittsburgh's geared up for another kick at the can, re-signing their trio of superstars, Malkin, Latang, and Crosby. So the Eastern Conference in the NHL may be 
at the peak of its powers this coming season. And primarily because there's not going to be all the bottom feeder beatings that went on last year. See, I buy into Ottawa. <clears throat> um, Being know, what? I, well, I buy into them fighting. I don't, I don't think they're going to be, I think last year, what they've done for 73 points. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to see that again this year. I no, there's, in, there's going to be an improvement there. Yeah, I buy into Ottawa mm -hmm. improving. Yeah. You know, but I mean, I, I, uh, for the rest of those teams, I don't, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't buy into the Buffalo Sabres until, until I see it being done night in and night out. Yeah. I, I mean, the leadership on the Sabres, I'm still, I'm still wondering, you know, where are you going to get, where is the pin come from on the Sabres? I mean, Claude Giroux in Ottawa, obviously a guy who's done it, been a superstar in this league and he's going home and from what I understand I'm hearing reports of him you know helping uh, like players like Tim Stussel helping them on face-offs yeah 20 minutes you know 20 minutes before and after practice teaching them about body positioning but here's a guy too like I'm not saying he's not just strictly there to be a coach on the ice this is a guy, he's still, in my mind, he's still easily a point-game player. Oh, without, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, obviously, he had a bit of a down year last year before he went to Florida and kind of geared it up. But you mentioned the Buffalo Sabres and why I think they're going to be an improved team. They're going to have a full season playing with Alex Tuck behind them. Yeah. And Alex Tuck is a really nice player, you know. I mean, sure. he's the kind of player you build around big, strong, fast, can score goals, plays a, a physical game. Uh, Kalik Poso, to me, has always been a very underrated player in the in the league. Uh, so they've got players that are going to be a factor in their improvement. Rasmus Dahlin, wow. All I can say about that guy was he's everything that they talked about before he was drafted, and he's even gotten better. So I think Buffalo has a lot to build on. Well, They're, you know, they got Owen Power in the draft last I year. He's probably going to be a better teenaged NHLer mm -hmm. on defense. Yeah. Rasmus Dallin, which is which is incredible. I know. Think about who they're going to have on their defense in a couple of years. So I expect Buffalo to be better. I expect Detroit to be better. I expect all the teams that were in the bottom half of the, the Eastern Conference last season to make up for what they did last season. And that's why I think the Eastern Conference is going to be such a hellacious place to play. So you're thinking a night-in, night-out conference. You're going to have... Great games, great battles. There's going to be battles. I think Montreal's going to, I hate to say it, Keith, Montreal's going to have their struggles without question. And, you know, even though a lot of people are saying Boston's going to be back in the mix, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I know. I know. Yeah, you can never count them out, but you can't count them in this season, as uh, as we'll talk about later on in the podcast. Um, for my for my money, what uh, what did Martin St. Louis? A stress test is what the season's going to be. But we'll get deeper into that uh, in our Habs chat later on in the podcast. Um, let's turn our attention to some news and notes from the NBA as we continue with news and notes. GMs had a little bit of a vote on uh, what's the best place for home court advantage in the NBA. And a, a very familiar team came out on top in that voting. Uh, you know what? Around the NBA, when you poll the NBA for anything, very rarely do you hear of the Toronto Raptors coming <laughs> out as number one in anything, right? So, But? Um, yeah. Uh, NBA GMs um, voted the, the Raps as the best place to, uh, as the best home court advantage in the league. And uh, you know what? It's funny. During their um, run to the Larry OB a couple, uh, three years ago now, I guess, in 2019, um, the one thing that uh, watching on American national TV and they were freaking out about the fans, yeah, all you know, and how great a place it is to play. But we've known that for decades now. Well, yeah, for, since they came here, it's been an amazing atmosphere inside. And now for the last several years, outside of the... Uh, Scotia, I almost said the ACC. Uh, you know, I can't get away from that. Okay. Yeah, Scotiabank yeah. Arena. The SBA. The I don't think anyone calls giving, it that. You're not giving Brian a plug. No, they're not. It's just I got an old head, so things tend to stay in there that get but put in know, there. You know, but let me, let me finish about the, the atmosphere because I think that's important to note that it's not just about what happens in the arena with the Raptors. Well, it's what goes on outside, man, because that is, Jurassic Park. is unbelievable. Well, you, that's you know, the thing that, that really threw them, Jurassic Park, and you'll see around the league now mm -hmm. 
other teams are copycatting, oh, which right. is proof in the pudding. What if this is working there? We're going to try and replicate it and make it work here. You know what? I, uh, I'm a big fan of Doris Burke, mm -hmm. ABC, ESPN. Yep. Uh, Sideline color. And she loves, absolutely loves Jurassic Park. She couldn't believe it when she was covering the finals here. Yeah. There were some rainy days out there. And, and still thousands of people. Thousands. The park was. Packed. Yeah. I love that that grew organically. Mm -hmm. That was not a corporate thing. No. It just grew people who couldn't get in, and then it just started. To that end, this and this, you know, I, I always like to talk about how things impact on the court. Players appreciate this. Like, I'm a big believer in energy. Always happen, always will be. And you can grab energy from your crowd, from your city. And something like Jurassic Park feeds the energy into that building. And the players, they eat it up, man. It becomes part of your energy. And that's what you take on the court with you. That's why I think you, you see so many great comebacks by the Raptors at, at the SBA. I'm going to hey, call it that. You know, um, that that's one of those urban myth things. I think players these days are so smart about taking care of themselves. Yeah, if there's a chance to go out and have fun, they're going to do that. But they know they got to work and they're here to do a job. So I don't think that they're, you know, pulling all-nighters at the local watering hole or the not so local watering holes or the clubs or whatever they're they're putting their work in after the games and getting their rest because they know what there's another game the next day all right uh, players are smarter about that King Street Club owners, I want you to ramp it up <laughs> now when there's a layover check or a couple schedule. days between games you can be rest assured man the fellas are out there you know yeah, check that NBA throwing schedule. it down no and, doubt uh, no uh, doubt throw some parties well the last news and notes we have from uh the world of puck and hoop is, is still sticking with hoops is I was looking at the number of Canadian players that are going to be in the NBA this season. And at last count I saw is up to 26 Canadians playing in the NBA this coming season. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Let me tell you a quick story. Uh, a few years back when I was working at CBC radio, um, we were taught there was, it was, you know what? It was the same year that Anthony Bennett was going to get drafted. Is that 2013 or 2014? I can't remember which. But the point is, yeah, I was doing a com I was having a conversation with um, one of the local writers on air about uh, Canadian basketball talent and where it's coming from and the growth of it. And I said, well, this is like the tip of the iceberg. You know, I'm not surprised that we finally have a number one pick in the NBA draft. I think there's going to be multiple number one picks in the NBA draft. I didn't think it was going to happen right away, yeah. as it did with Andrew Wiggins. But the, th the fact of the matter is, if you just go around this city and other cities like Toronto and Canada, you see people who are playing the game of hoops at a supremely high level. You see it with the kids and their skill level. You see it with the, the high school age kids and their skill level. You see the number of Canadian players going down to university and colleges in the States oh, now. It's, it's a constant stream. Yeah. So that just, like I said, a rising tide lifts all boats and that's what's happening with the Canadian basketball level. And that's made evident by what's happening at the NBA level. I was saying that a decade ago, and look where we are now. 26 Canadians in the, in the NBA. Team Canada looks like they're finally ready to make a, a move in the international rankings. So, yeah, 26 Canadians, I'm, you know, that's Very a great quickly, number. Who's your, who's your favorite Canadian, not on the Raptors, to watch? I got to go with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, you know, I, I always like players who play with control, but and flair and he's like the prime example of that he's got a very unorthodox style yeah. he's long he reminds me of a praying mantis when he's oh, out yeah. there he's lean and lanky not super quick but try uh, staying in front of him he finds angles that aren't there he's got the in-between floater game he'll knock down the open three he'll take it to you and dunk it on you he's got finish with both i mean he is just a marvel to watch and um on the cusp of becoming a superstar in the nba so i actually saw him Hamilton, uh, mm -hmm. against, uh, the Dominican Republic. I remember you asked me if I wanted to go to that game with yeah. you. Yeah. Un he, he was unstoppable. Yeah. Absolutely unstoppable. When I got to uh, in international basketball, his game actually may lend itself more to the international game. because that, That's saying something considering he scored 24 points a game in I the know. NBA last he was, season. It was, <laughs> was incredible, especially him and his cousin on the mm -hmm. defensive end. You have six foot five guards. 
Yeah. They don't lead guards. Yeah. And they were giving the Dominican Republic guards fits on the defensive end. So, uh, you know what? I'm going to quickly, I won't give you much of a ramble on mine. Lugan Stort. I saw him play. In high you like school. him, huh? Saw him Tough. Play in high school. And I yeah. turned to my friend and I said uh, right away, this guy's an NBA player. I've never heard, I've never heard of him. Mm-hmm. But just pure hustle, raw power, and now he's, his, his three is emerging. Yeah. And by the way, uh, he's, he's out, right? Yeah, I was just uh, checking on that. He's still out in uh, concussion protocol, which is too bad because the, the Oklahoma City Thunder have been just racked with injury. Every year, it seems like someone oh, yeah. major, like Gilgis Alexander was gone for half the year last yeah. year, it seemed like. So with Lugens Dort out, their number one draft pick, Chet Holmgren, out yeah. Um, yeah. for the season, it looks like. Yeah, he's like it's, the yeah, so it's just, you know, once again, man, the Thunder, you can have a ton of draft picks, but it doesn't matter if, play, if the players you pick aren't going to play on the court. That's true. So any, any other news and notes? Let's go I think that's about it for news and notes, guys. We got a lot to talk about with our two favorite puck teams, the the Leafs and the Habs, who who played in the uh, the recent game, and uh, with the Leafs coming out on top five one. But you know, scores in the exhibition season don't matter. But what we did get a good look at it because it was the fifth game of the exhibition season, yeah. is uh, just what kind of rosters are shaping up for both teams. And to that end, let's start with. The Habs. What do you make of oh, their okay. roster going I forward? Say, let's start with the Leafs. I yeah. was ready to say. All right, I threw a curveball in there at you. You know what? It was interesting because the Habs had had so many players out. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, I was, I was impressed with Sean Monaghan. Hadn't played a game in... I Six think, months. Yeah. Like, Six I months. I believe they even... It's 162 days. Yeah, I think it was 180-something. Since, since he laced them up. Yeah. And he looked pretty good out there. I mean, he was never a speed burner. He's a hands guy. Mm-hmm. He can score 30 goals in the NHL. And, like, he looked really good. And I know he had hip surgery. Man, I'd hate to have that as a 27-year-old. Boy. have to need hip surgery. We both have had it. Not personal, but we know people have had it and yeah. experienced it. Playing hockey, and you have to have multiple hip surgeries. He looked really good to me. Yeah, he, he um, looked like he's... Uh, Getting back to where he was with Calgary a couple of seasons ago, yeah. he's he's an interesting um, study in what in, in what the Montreal Canadiens are going to look like for the entirety of this season because he's that mid-range veteran who's a you know frontline NHL player on a team that's really looking to the future. So what do you do I with him? I know, which makes for a pretty good case for him to be moved around the trading yeah, deadline. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, you know what? Uh, we don't really talk baseball in this, in this draft, but well, that's you know that's cause it's called the Puck and Hoop podcast. Well, you know, my, my favorite <laughs> baseball player hit 61 home runs so far this year in a year that he's going for a contract. So I really think that Sean Monahan is going to have a surprisingly good year, and I think by the deadline, if he's in the high teens, maybe even 15 or more goals, I think the Canadians are. Well, you know what? If he if he's healthy the whole year, you can mark him down for twenty. No, uh, yeah, you know? deadline time. I thought. Oh, by that, yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't be know. mark him down for twenty at the deadline. Yeah, yeah. He's I that good. In my books, he's that good. He's like he's a thirty goal scorer. You know, this oh, yeah. guy's he's I I've always liked Sean. I've never liked the Calgary Flames for reasons we've stated before, yeah. but I've always been a fan of Sean Monahan. So. You know, but I, I think that we one of the things I was looking at with Montreal because I was reading about Martin Saint Louis and his approach to the game and yeah. how he's coaching this team, and he and he put a phrase out there when he was uh, conducting an interview uh, a couple days ago that this season's going to be a stress test, okay. and I, I I was kind of thinking, hmm, I, I kind of get that. He wants to put pressure on players to develop within the season, which begs the question. And kind of indicates me where they're going to go. Does that mean they're going to go with a lot of young players on this team? Because there are a lot of pretty high-profile young players on this team. Yeah, I think there's slots open. There's slots open. On there's the no question front. about that. Yeah. Defense. There's definitely. And slots up front. Open. Up front. Um, yeah, there there are. But I I have a feeling like a young uh, veteran like Curdy Doc, like he's going to get. Uh, a lot of minutes. Not the minutes he was not getting in Chicago. Yeah. He's only twenty one. Yeah. You know, he's 
30. Oh, that's why I was going to say, how can you call him a young veteran at 21? At 21. <laughs> but, you know, I watched him last night, and I was talking to you about him. And mm-hmm. Interesting player. Gains a zone with ease. I mean, he's a six foot four guy. We see guys that size able to use their body. Yeah. Great passer. Had some really nice passes against the seams. I'd love to see him shoot more. Um, now, okay, and you keep telling me don't get caught up in the one game. But yeah. I'd love to see him shoot more. But he is... Uh, like taking the puck with speed through the neutral zone and gaining the zone, I, I, I can see that as, as his game. Yeah, um, you know, big centers with rush. speed and good hands are a valuable commodity oh, yeah. in this league. Yeah. So giving him a, a season to develop in the Montreal system is, you know, I don't cool. see why he wouldn't do that uh, on the big team. He's not going anywhere, but 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 the big team. But a guy I want to I talk I want you to talk about is Yuri Slavkovsky. Yeah. Talk about big players. Talk about exactly talk about yeah. big players and the fact that. He needs to develop, but where is he going to be developing? In Montreal, in Laval, or in Europe? Because there's options there. Yeah, six foot four kid. He's eighteen years old, like eighteen. Built like pounds, a man, but a kid. Two hundred and forty pounds. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, um, it's funny. At the beginning of the game last night, I would have said, "Oh, he's going to the Miners." Yeah, the oh, <laughs> he deserves to stay. Yeah, but you know what? You can see that this guy can learn. I mean, this is quite a step up. I mean, I had the pleasure of working on the Olympic hockey coverage. So I got to see this guy game in, game out. Even some of the games that weren't broadcast in Canada, mm-hmm. I got to watch. He, his game um, here is he seems to me a little, the game's just a little faster, even in the preseason, than it was on the, at the Olympics, which is quite interesting. And when I say faster, maybe it is even the Olympic ice surface as compared to the NHL ice surface. That's a factor. Less, for sure, it's a factor. You have less time. Yeah. And that's that's always a factor. Great plays that you were talking about the you know the great save uh, you know made by Joe Matt Murray. Defender, Matt Murray on yeah. Slavkovsky on the two on one. Yeah. On two on one, and that was in the Olympics. He scores on that, but I mean he's just but. During the game, you just saw him getting better and better, and that's all you can ask. I think I, I'm not a fan of Europe. I know you were telling me that you know European players tend to develop better in Europe. Yeah, they, that's that's well well noted and well recorded. Yeah, that sure. you put it, you, you give them that extra year in Europe to develop. It does wonders for their career. But most of those guys were not number one overall. I don't think any of them. Well, no, there was one. Was the only one. Yeah. yeah. And he turned out okay. The number one, he turned out the number one pick in Montreal. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure to keep him here. And the, here's the thing that none of the analysts are saying. I want him here as a draw in Laval. It's 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 kind of like what the Leafs have here, right? Like they, with the Marlies. With the Marlies, I've yeah. got him like ten minutes down the road, fifteen yeah. minutes down the road. I would want him. Uh, Laval is, what, 30, 35 minutes down the road? If that. I would want him 30, 30 minutes down the road mm-hmm. rather than across. I know there's talking about putting him back in his Finnish club and saying that it's very hard in the Finnish first league to score goals. So, you know, the pressure there mm-hmm. will be on him to score more. Um, but I would, I would want him in Laval, and I think that the management is going to want to have the option of bringing him up, as as you said, like there may be a point in the season where you want him back, and if he's if he's in Finland, he's not coming not back. Be, yeah, if he goes to Finland, he's there for the year. Yeah, I, you know, look for my money. I'm I'm you know I've seen him a couple of times already in the NHL yeah. outside of the World Championships and the Olympics. That's that's what I'm going to base everything I've seen him on, and um, I think that they pegged it right. He's been okay until his last exhibition game where yeah. he got better and better until he was a factor in that game. Not much only scored one goal, but Slavkovsky was involved and in creating. Okay. And if you got an 18-year-old that's doing that, you know, it, it kind of makes it hard for me to see him going anywhere but to the big club. But it makes it make you can make an argument for him going to Laval. You can make less of an argument for him going back to Finland. He had... He assisted on Montreal's only goal. There you go. Yeah. And it was a strong assist. (laughs) Yeah. Came off the boards. Yeah. Nice stick handling. Drove the net. Mm -hmm. Had two cracks, two whacks at the puck. Mm -hmm. Uh, Couldn't get it by Matt Murray. But just that drive, 
six foot four monster driving at you. Yeah. And then it opened up ice for Jonathan Drouin to bang in yeah. his first exhibition. Game. Well, I, what I was going to say about this guy is I can see him getting better and better, and his precedent for keeping the number one pick on your team for the full season and having it, hey, maybe he scores 10 goals this year on the club. Yeah. But what better learning environment than being around professionals? Yeah, you know? I can see it. Than being yeah. around NHLers. Yeah. Phil, and Phil and they're pros too, but yeah. NHLers. Well, the NHLers are the real pros. The one, part, the one part of his game that he needs, at least at this level in the exhibition season, that he doesn't need any acclimatizing to is the physicality of the game. This guy is does just, not shy. Why would you shy away from it when you're that big and that oh, strong? Yeah. And it's, using his body to yeah. Well, that's the thing you see with big guys. Big guys that can skate uh, put the fear of God into you. Because one, when you hit them, they're just going to keep going. And when they hit you, you're going to feel it. Oh, and even when they're coming at you on the rush. Yeah. And they've got that reach, that long reach. Yeah. And, you know, as you saw, he's got quick hands. Yeah. That could be terrifying. And the ability to hold off grown men, grown NHL men, while you're trying to create a play. You know... That's why I looked at you. You watch this guy play, and you think that you kind of waste him if you throw him down in the in the minors or send him back to Finland because he was, well, he's he's. He gets twenty minutes of ice. Well, why would he not get twenty minutes of ice with Montreal? Yeah, I, I like. I why wouldn't he? Your, Give me an argument why he wouldn't well, get that. He's not going to be on your top two lines. Why not? Where would you play him? Well, you know, he's going to be probably a third liner on the on the Kings. Yeah, I would, you know, here's the thing. Why would you, this is just uh, throwing, you know, stuff against the wall, see if it sticks. Why not start him on the wing on the second line? Why put the pressure of playing center on him right off the bat? Let him stay at the wing. So right now the second line looks like Dodonov, Gallagher, and Dvorak. And those guys actually buzzing around last night. They were pretty good together. Maybe eh. a little bit of overpassing. Yeah. They, didn't, they didn't score. No finish. These guys have all, but they've all scored in this league, right? Yeah. We're not worried yeah. about them not scoring yeah. goals. And I think with a, um, a veteran line like that, that mm-hmm. that's a solid veteran number two line in the NHL. And I think you stick him on the wing of that line, or, and I, I think that this is going to be a lot of pressure on them and those other guys, you're going to count on them to produce as well. I don't know. If he's yeah, but what is your overall? But the see, but this Keith, this is what I'm talking about. What is the philosophy for the Montreal Canadiens this season? Because they certainly can't be thinking of you know playoffs. No, they can't be thinking of finishing near the top of the league so because that's not realistic. So they have to look at the guys that they know are going to be here two, three years down the road and worry about their development. Sure. So why not put those guys in position now? To learn in the crucible of extremely tough playing time, to learn in the crucible of playing at the NHL level and having serious minutes, rather than go apply your trade somewhere else and then next year come in and have to learn that stuff then. So I've heard this is a year-long audition um, for the Canadians, for every player on the team, which I don't fully believe that, number one. Um, the, even with Slavkovsky, I don't believe that. Mm. Slavkovsky is not auditioning for this team. He's the future of this team. He's going to be on this team. Yeah. For years going but forward. is he going to be on this team to start yeah. the NHL but, season? But what is, where's the best place for him to develop? Well, that's the question, and right? The is, why why think, would it not be in Montreal? I still think 20-plus minutes a night, 20-plus minutes a night in Laval, where, where, the G, where the GM and the player development guys work hand-in-hand, hand, mm-hmm. and you can see him every single night. Um, I'm not saying he can't play in Montreal, but I'm saying... He's, for me, he's playing 12 minutes a night in Montreal. In Laval, he's playing in all situations, right? You, you don't, don't, you don't, you don't, kill, you don't think he's going to play in all situations? No, he's not going to be on Montreal. He's not going to be on Montreal's power play. Why not? I don't think so. I, I, I why not? Because yeah. there's going well, to be we, games where, there's, hold on, there's going to be a game. You're tied 2-2. Are you going to put an experiment on your power play, or are you going to put a guy, someone who you're hoping? You know, well, it, it, see, but this speaks part. to what I'm talking about. What is Montreal's goal for this season? To win as many games as possible? Yeah. Or to build towards something in the future? No, I believe that it's to build towards something in the future. So why would you not put him under the stress of guy, having to produce in situations but, like but that? It's guy, not just one guy, no, though. No, but that's what I'm saying. One guy, it's, it's, it's 
It's an NHL team. It's not one guy. Yeah. You got to look also. There's other young guys. Well, that's what I'm getting. That's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. The the Arbor Jack guy. Arbor Jack guy. Jack guy. You, you want to say Jack? It looks like Jacques. He's, he's, well, he's in Quebec. He should be Jacques. He's, uh, what is he? I believe he's Ukrainian Slovak. Yeah, that's a good mix. Ukrainian Slovak. Yeah. Jack guy. Arbor Jack guy. Yeah. Jack Arbor, guy. Jack Arbor Jack guy. You talked about Kirby Doc earlier. 21. Arbor Jack guy. 20 years old. Big, yeah. strong, you know, mean. The, there's young guys. Cole Caulfield, for crying out loud, young guys. They've got more than a handful of young guys on this team. There's this whole thing. I've, I've, I've said this in every sport. If you get a cohort of guys that come in together or within relative proximity yeah. to each other yeah. and move together through failure, through success, through ultimate success, that builds a bond and a camaraderie that is virtually unbreakable. So I think, look, I know the people who run the Montreal Canadiens know this. So they're t- probably taking a look around their room, and they've got eight to ten guys, yeah. that many young guys are on this team, who they're looking at as the core of what they want to be two, three years from now. Well, if you've got a guy in Europe, a guy in Laval, a guy maybe going back and forth, how do you have that continuity? How do you build that camaraderie? That has to start now if they want to be someplace serious in two, three seasons. And here's the thing about that too. The turnaround time in professional sports now, there was a time when you had, yeah, three to five years to build something. That is not the case anymore. You've got a year to two years max to make significant gains into being a legitimate player in your sport. So that to me is why I think that the Montreal Canadiens, this season is a stress test. Next year's the real thing. So uh, to that end, I'm going to say, yes, I understand the quick turnaround. Part of, a, part of that quick turnaround, though, is usually management. And the Canadiens, mm-hmm. Kent Hughes, he's not going anywhere in two or three years. We know Martin Saint Louis is not going anywhere yeah. unless he wants to yeah. in two or three years. So I don't think there's that kind of pressure. This is one of the only times since I've been watching the Canadians for forty plus years where the fandom is not going to come and say we need to win. They understand that, but I still believe a guy like Jack Guy, who I thought is maybe further ahead offensively, physical. Marvel. We were talking about Koski. <laughs> all of a sudden, the Canadians, weren't they all small? Like, yeah, small, speedy guys. Big, Giants. Speedy guys. So yeah. I, I, I think offensively, uh, watching him yesterday, um, his game is... I think he can play in the NHL right now offensively. I did see a few uh, brain cramps defensively. I did see yeah. over-aggressiveness. Over, oh, wait. wait, wait well, 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 let's let's just underscore the over-aggressiveness yeah. thing. Anytime you got a big guy that has a little bit of a nasty edge to him, oh, yeah. that's not a bad thing. Oh, yeah. That is not a bad thing no, at all. No, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, I saw him uh, giving a... Well, it wasn't even a face wash. It was like, I'm grabbing your face and putting you on the ground kind of move. Oh, yeah. I saw him battling uh, You got a penalty for too. that. Yeah. Who's a big, Aston, strong man. Battling bunting. Yeah. You know, and they were giving him a little bit of a... T- it's, it's funny how these things kind of follow you. Yeah. From junior... Hockey, right? They were taunting back and forth. Mm-hmm. I saw him physically, like this guy, manhandling, you know, manhandling men. Yeah. So I'm. He's I'm a not, big man. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Him, though, mm-hmm. I, again, I would probably start him in the AHL. Yeah, well, Keith, you know, I think we're on opposite sides of this argument because I don't, I I think from what I've seen from Montreal and everything I've read, that they're invested in, in building the team with the young guys almost from the hop. I think they're, I think we're going to see a lot of movement player-wise from Montreal this season, and it's going to be some of those veterans that have been around for a while. And, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at that. And I think, you know, it's a good thing because the young guys they do have are pretty fascinating to watch. Oh, yeah, they've, they've got some great young players that we didn't, you know, that weren't even out on the ice last night. But Well, first and foremost, when we mentioned him already, is Cole Caulfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. So sure. yeah, they they they're well stocked at the in the youth and skill department. And you know what I mean? I just was watching, but I, I just have a feeling that they're going to want to. So let's let's talk a little bit um, that other team that played last night, and where uh, you see them heading with their roster. I don't think they have as many. Uh, well, they don't have a lot of question marks. Um, they have some through injury, but uh, you know I think they're top. Lines are acquitted themselves 
well, and these guys are going to be great during this year. But where do you see them going? Well, I think, as you said, there's it's kind of like looking at the opposite ends of the spectrum with Montreal and Toronto. Montreal's expectations are all about development and growth. Uh, Toronto's expectations are only one thing. That's it. Just win. And it's not win the first round. I mean, you know, you got to win the first round to get the next round. That is not their goal. Their goal is to win the Stanley Cup. And I have no problem with a team coming out and saying that when you're in the position the Leafs are. Super talented, lots of depth, uh, a coach that knows what he's doing and knows what he wants, it's full support of management. Their goal has to be Stanley Cup or bust this season, and that's the way that they got to approach the regular season. To that end, everything I've seen from them thus far in the, in the preseason indicates that that is exactly what they're going to be doing. They're going to make a concerted effort to make the regular season a, a serious test drive for the postseason, to, which means... They're going to come out and try and dominate every game. Yeah, and I, it's hard to do, but you know what? Even on the days when you don't have your best, you can still play hard. And that's the thing that the Leafs are going to be doing. Like in that game, lot, uh, the fifth game of the exhibition season against Montreal, 5-1 victory for the Leafs, you, you saw moments in the game where they just would not let Montreal play. Oh, yeah. They were on yeah. top of them. They had the puck all the time. If they didn't have it, they went and got it. It's that type of play that they've shown that they can do. Now they got to keep that up throughout the whole season. There are going to be times when, for some reason, hot goaltender, puck luck, you're not scoring. But your effort, your energy, your commitment never wavers. That has to be the goal. And to me, that's the thing that's going to make them a serious contender for the Stanley so Cup. So that top line, it's January. That top line is shut down. Marner and Matthews. Not going to happen. Perhaps Bunting. Not going to happen. I don't but, see that happening. No, but in, in, a, in an individual game, anyone yeah. shut down. Where do you expect, where's the offense coming from? Oh, well, that's... Obviously, Nylander, but where, yeah. say, where other than Nylander, where's that offense coming from? Well, a, a guy that's having a terrific camp, Nick Robertson, is just uh, finally looking like an NHL player. You know, he's had he's had flashes. He scored at every single level he's played at. Um, he's skilled. He's fast. He's tenacious. He's a puck hunter. He's a puck keeper. So possession and getting it back. He's all about that possession and retrieval. He does things that the coach wants. And now he seems to have found that level of, I don't have to go 100 miles an hour all the time. I can go 70, I can go 80, I can accelerate to 100 when I need to. He's got that, and that to me is the difference between being a really good player in the minors or at the lower levels, but in the NHL, you have to know when to use your speed and to read the speed of the game so things open up for you. Your mind should be moving quickly, your feet don't necessarily have to be. And it seems like Nick Robertson has finally got that into his game. And if that's the case, he's going to find himself a spot in the top six. Now, whether that's on a line with Tavares and Nylander or who knows, because Tavares is not going to be playing for a couple more weeks, but that might open the door for Nick Robertson to start in the top six, which would be a good place for him. So if he doesn't start in the top six, what do you do with him? I think he can play on the third line. He can have a scoring element to that third line. He's well, shown he's, he's going to be – he made a great defensive play against Montreal in that 5-1 oh, yeah, victory. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that coach well, – that's, that's a check mark, that's, right? That's speed. That's and speed and awareness. Yeah. And awareness. It's not just speed. It's not like that's a guy who's got his head in the swivel and sees where's the puck going, and he's reading the play. Because even if you're the fastest guy in the league, you can't beat the puck. Yeah, but if you see that, okay, this guy's got options, what's he going to do? Oh, he's going to pass it there. And you're already reacting before you've the puck's – that's how you get there with your speed. Okay. So he, him showing that level of awareness, mind you, it's – what is it? Exhibition game that's number five? That, that's but that's yeah. – exactly. That's yeah. the kind of thing that translates to the yeah, regular season. Good habits. Also, similar. Good habits and effort. Yeah, good habit. Exactly what I'm talking about. Really, you know, that that's something that can't be simulated and can't be taught. Yeah, you, you just have to do it. But what impressed me about him, and I told you, was when he was in the corner with Arbor Jack and I, and I was actually, you know, that's a obviously a physical mismatch. Yeah, and he his quick hands. He's a small player. Mm -hmm. They know how to use their body. We've seen all these small players for years and years and years, and people are surprised was literally under Jack Eye using those quick hands and he found 
Nylander wide open. Yeah. Like, as open as he can be for that beautiful backhand goal. It was, it was a thing of beauty. Here's a guy who's, I mean, his reputation was the big shot, but I'm seeing tenaciousness on the boards and the, again, awareness to, mm-hmm. to find guys. Well, he came away with three assists, you know, and he's, he drew a penalty in the first two minutes of the game. So he's doing the things necessary for him to get a serious look on, on the top two lines in the, in the NHL for a team that's contending for a Stanley Cup. Okay, let's, let's you couldn't ask for anything more than that in, a, in an exhibition season for a guy that's battling for a spot. And I think the battle is pretty much over. He's won a spot. He's won a spot. Don't want to talk about your goaltending. They've acquitted themselves well. We can talk about the goaltending because I think it's still a, in a situation that needs to be uh, no, talked no, about no, and addressed. Defensive injuries. Who's going to step up and take a lot of minutes? Because... Muzzin may not even be back for well, the start of the season. So. Well, they're saying he's day-to-day. So yeah. does that mean he's going to play in the last two exhibition games to be one, one of the two? They always end up against Detroit, so yeah. uh, back-to-back. So is he going to hit the ice for one of those? We don't know yet because he's day-to-day. Yeah. No, I'm saying if he's not there. So if What's he's not there, well, Sandine's back in camp. He's obviously going to play both of those games, I would think. Yeah. So he obviously steps up into the hole that's left by not just Muzzin, but uh, Timothy Lilgren, who's out for several weeks with an abdominal surgery. He had a hernia, I believe. He's so yeah, so he's well, like I said, he had surgery, so he's yeah. definitely not going to be back for a while. So yeah, there's there's holes to be filled on defense and. Uh, if you're Toronto, you like the depth you had. Oh, that's taken a bit of a hit through the preseason, losing Kali Dahlstrom for six months with a shoulder. And Jordy Ben uh, has a pulled groin, so he's out for, gosh, uh, probably a couple weeks. So he's gone for the season. But the one area where Toronto's been able to develop some organizational depth has been defense. They had Victor Mete sitting there who they signed in the offseason, and he's been nothing but gotten positive reviews from the coaching staff of analysts so for his play. Positive reviews, but he, he's bounced around a lot, Brian. And, and you know That's I mean? the like, past, Keith. That no, is the I'm past. Saying, you know, We're talking about right now and what the situation is going though, forward. He's, he's but that's fine, you know. Yeah, and he's in a position where it's not going to be all on him because he's going to be playing down in down in the lineup. He's going to be your fifth or sixth defenseman, which is probably a good slot for him because he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he is a darn good puck mover, and he's pretty cerebral out there, and he can skate. He can definitely skate. So with with players like that, uh, uh, they've got Mac Hollowell, Philip Crawl, they've got Christian Rubens. They've got players who can step up if necessary, so the defensive depth is there to go along with a pretty darn good NHL-caliber defense led by Riley, Brody, um, Giordano, uh, and and Hall, and now Sandine. So there's five. So you've got another four guys you can choose to put slot into that sixth spot. Their defense is going to be fine. Uh, Their top four is as good as any top four in the NHL, and Morgan Riley has proven that he is a top-tier defenseman. Oh, he's a, yeah, he's a number-one defenseman. Yeah. I think the key thing for Toronto in terms of their defensive commitment and development is what step does Sandine make. Because here's a guy who everyone sees as being uber-talented. So now he's got a chance to go out there and really cement himself as a, as a top-tier defenseman. And they're going to give him every opportunity to do that. Will he crack into the top four? Will he be your fifth, sixth defenseman? Uh, that remains to be seen. I think he's got top-four talent. I think the Leafs want him to be a top-four defenseman. Well, let's see if he can make that leap. Okay. So now you, you, you kind of glossed over the goaltending. Well, because the goaltending that I've seen has been... I, I think if you're Leafs management, Leafs players, mm-hmm. you can be nothing but happy with the way the two goaltenders have performed in the preseason. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I think that I saw some great saves last night from Matt Murray. I mean, saves on the doorstep, saves off the rush, you know, saves on the power play. Jeez, I mean, this guy that's ready to play. You know what? I keep hearing him talk after games, and I'm I'm like, is, is this guy this cool? He's just like, you know what? Give me everything you can handle. I'm ready for this opportunity. Um, you know, we've seen it before. I mean, some players worry about playing in Toronto. This guy looks like he was, honestly, from the way he talks, looks like he was born to play in Toronto. Well, one of the things that uh, has become readily apparent in the short time he's been here 
is um, his demeanor on the ice is pretty much his demeanor off the ice. He's calm. He's poised. He's, I don't want to say he's relaxed because it's not a relaxing position, but if anyone can be relaxed playing goaltending, goaltender, it seems to be Matt Murray. Um, just watching him play in the last couple of games that he's had uh, ice, had the ice, it, it's you like a goalie who doesn't, who has an economy of movement. Yeah. He's not flopping all over the place and all that. That's Murray. Mind you, he's also six foot five, six foot six, so he doesn't have to move to cover a lot of space, right? So the whole thing is, but I, he, there were periods in the in the preseason in the in the five games the Leafs have played where they have not let the other team touch the puck for great stretches of the game. Yeah, and it is helping out the goaltender, but it's also a hard thing for a goaltender to sit there of that much inactivity in-game and then have to come up with a save. And uh, the first period against Montreal in their last game was quite like that. Montreal didn't have a shot for the first seven eight minutes. minutes. Yeah, it, was eight, so, it stretched yeah, to eight? Was, was eight minutes. And then he had to make a tremendous save. Yeah. That's the thing that Toronto needs. When you're a great team, you you don't play great for 60 minutes. Yeah. You play great for the majority of the game. But those minutes when you're not playing great and the other team has an opportunity, that's when your goalie has to be the best player. Because he's only going to get limited chances to make a great save. Sure. You like to think that he's going to be able to do that. And it's those times that when you're playing great and it's a tight game, and you can't score, and there's only a couple of shots in your net, and one of them goes in, that really makes it difficult to be a successful team. So, you know what, though? That, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, this guy played in, in Pittsburgh for, you know, one, five and a, uh, well, six seasons, but really was getting the majority of the games for, let's say, for four of those six seasons. But that's the way the Penguins were. You know, they, yeah. would, they would dominate the puck yeah. and then give up an odd man rush where he'd have to come up big. So I'm not shocked mm -hmm. by him being able to do that for the Leafs. I mean, there, there you go. There's a good comparison for you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a bit, it's a very good point of comparison um, because the situation in, in Pittsburgh when Murray was there winning back-to-back -back Stanley Cups yeah. was not unlike what the Leafs find themselves in now. A pretty darn good offensive team, very strong defensively, just in need of solid, competent goaltending. And if they can get that, well, you know, I know you, you, you like to look at the odds and the betting lines and all that. No, I don't. I don't care about that stuff. But I'll tell you this. You'll never go broke betting on the egos of the professional athlete. And the reason why I say this is this. You've got two goaltenders have something to prove. Murray oh, yeah. needs to bounce back from injury and uh, a lack of performance for the last couple of seasons. Although, you know, the latter half of his time in Ottawa, he played well until he got hurt. Yeah. Samsonov has had an up-and-down career since he came to the NHL. But has got... You know, wonderful size, great athleticism, pretty darn good pedigree, just hasn't proven it. He's won, but he's won in the teams that he's been on with Washington have won in spite of him in yeah. many, many That's aspects. Awesome. So both of these guys now find themselves having to redeem themselves as frontline goaltenders, and they have to do it against each other. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a shot to your ego. You know, are you how are you going to take it? How are you going to deal with it? Are you going to turtle and not? show up for the competition you're not going to fight oh, or are you going to compete yeah, they're, they're going to compete right so that's going to spur these guys to better heights and if you have goaltenders that are you know competing against each other in the in the form of i want the net that can only be a good thing for the toronto maple leafs and when you have the pedigree of being a good goaltender which these guys have and you know what it takes to be a good goaltender and you're in a situation that puts you in position to get those good habits back well I hate making predictions, but I think that this is going to be not the case where the goalies are being looked at every single game in a negative light. It's going to be, well, they're doing their job. And yeah. if they're doing their job, it's going to be an outstanding year for the yeah, Leafs. Sometimes that's what you need. You don't want to be just do your job. Yeah, just, just do your job. You, and, I, and further, you to further, I don't want to just uh, pile on Murray here because Samsonov is going to be a factor. But with Murray... What, what we saw with him, you know, Ottawa 
although they're going to be a factor this year in the East, I think. They were a much improved team. For the last couple of seasons, boy, that was a tough place to play net. And if you're a goalie, and especially one that plays the style that Murray does, and well, not just Murray, but any goalie, you're sitting back there, you have the game in front of you. You see what's happening. You see the breakdowns coming before they actually happen. So he spent two years with all kinds of mayhem in front of him in Ottawa trying to cover up for that. He doesn't have to do that in Toronto. They're going to be playing structured defense. They're going to have everybody coming back to retrieve the puck and get it back and stop people shooting it at him. So all he has to worry about is that occasional time, hopefully not more than 20 to 25 times a game, when a shot comes in, preferably from the outside. That's it. That's what he has to worry about. You know what that means? I'm playing net, and that's all I got to worry about, baby. He strikes me, too, as a very smart, like an intelligent guy. He's glib. And it's, I think he knows, hey, I'm in a great situation. Like, I think he realizes this is similar to my situation that I had in Pittsburgh. And if I do my job, mm-hmm. I'm going to raise another Stanley Cup. Whereas when he was, he was in Ottawa last year, no matter how well he played with that club, I mean, you know, making it into 10 might have been the, the best that they could have done. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's the thing. I totally believe that. Okay. Well, that's our look at Puck for this podcast. I think we should turn our attention now to him. A couple of things. Just a couple of things. (laughs) You know, we've got the Raptors who have played, uh, what, all of one exhibition game? Yeah. But, you know, the exhibition season in basketball may be, as meaning, may be even more meaningless than it is in hockey, to tell you the truth. Particularly for a team like the Raptors, who... Yeah, maybe uh, your top ten guys, it's meaningless for. Yeah, you know, there's maybe a so couple of... Hurt. Yeah, don't get... That's it. Don't get hurt. Look good in, the, in practice for the coach. Because that's where... The, this is the one time a year the coach can really implement what he needs yeah, to do and what he wants his to team say, to do. Focusing on game plan. Yeah. Focusing yeah. on how the how you want your team to play. This is yeah. where you build it, and then you you know you spice it up throughout the season because there is not a lot of practice time anymore in the NBA. Oh, no. So he's putting in his philosophy for this team, not you know not building on what they did last year to a certain extent. But there's going to be a few changes in how they deploy their talent because one, the Raptors are much deeper. To that end, I want to talk about what the Raptors uh, guys at the back end of the roster because there's. Pretty much 10 spots taken up, and there's maybe two spots that are really up for debate. And um, for my money, I really think the last two spots on the roster are going to go to Delano Blanton and uh, Justin Champagne. So, but here's the thing, though. So, NBA roster, though, um, you can have... 15. 15. Um, you guys aren't going to dress. Yeah. But I believe Banton... For me, in the eye test, um, it kind of faded last year down the stretch, which guy was playing from 9.05 some nights and then coming back yeah. and playing for Toronto. Now, that's, a, that's a Toronto thing, though. Yeah, no, it's great for your scoring and stuff, but I kind of expected a guy to, a guy who played 35 games the year before and all of a sudden you're, you're not playing the minutes every night, but all of a sudden you're, you're involved in 100 games. That's a lot, you know, that's a lot to ask. So I expect a little fade. But every time I've seen him play, I've, saw, I've watched him play for Canada, watching him play in this exhibition season, he actually, to me, he, his awareness looks like he's better. He just looks better. I noticed he was way uh, a lot better going to his left mm-hmm. in the one. I know you know, don't get excited by an exhibition game. Exactly. But he was way better going to his left hand. Yeah. And that was impressive to me. And did you see that old school uh, shot he pulled out there? Which one were you talking about? With the fake, he looked like... Oh, where he did the ball. Jordan did that, and, you know... Yeah, Jordan did the... Yeah, yeah, but he also did the one hand going this way. But that's that's an old-school move, and he did pull it out, and he made the shot afterwards, which is more important. Um, important. Yeah, yeah, not a lot of spots up for debate, but there are a lot of new guys on the Raptors team. But I want to talk a bit about one guy who's not new, at least he was not new coming into this season, but he's new coming into last season, Scotty Barnes and just some of the stuff that Nick Nurse has been saying about him. Nick Nurse thinks he looks more definitive in his choices. He's recognizing things earlier. He, uh, he looks huge. He said he's grown. That's, that's scary. 
thinking about that. Yeah. Um, he's very effusive in his praise and how his approach to the game is this season. And the expectation is that he, everyone talks about making that leap in your second year when you're a, a very highly acclaimed rookie of the year type player, which Scotty Barnes obviously was. Um, by all accounts, he is definitely poised to make that leap to the next level uh, heading into the 22-23 season. You know what, it, this is, it's not on his skill, it's not on his game or his hustle. One thing I always love about Scotty Barnes is I can count on two hands the amount of basketball players I've seen that play with a smile on their face. <laughs> and the moment I saw this guy in a Raptors uniform, I saw him play a couple of times in college. I didn't notice it then. But he plays with joy. Yeah. The love of the game. And I think that that is going to really... The last guy I really saw... I, I've seen others, but kind of reminds me of Magic. I know, it might be sad. Well, you know, that comparison's been put out there a yeah. lot, a lot. And, and I think that he's got something that's like just special, unique. I mean, he's got all these talents. He's so well-rounded. Mm -hmm. But I think that love of the game is a thing that's going to put him over the top. Yeah. What do you, quickly, what do you think about my man, Bo Cruz? Wancho Hernan Gomez. Well, Wancho Hernan Gomez has one thing that the Raptors value above almost anything else other than being 6'9 and uh, defensive capability. The ability to knock down a shot. Yeah. Wancho Hernan Gomez can shoot the basketball. Now, whether that's going to replicate itself in, into real play and in real games remains to be seen. But the, he did it in your he did, but that's Eurobasket. Let's do it. In, let's do it in the NBA. Let's do it in the NBA. And I'm, I'm a. You got to show it to me before I believe it. And there's a reason why, even though he was a pretty high draft pick four years ago, um, he's bounced around. There's, there's something missing in his game. Now, whether the Raptors feel they can or already have unlocked that remains to be seen. But the, the thing about Juancho Hernan Gomez is he can shoot the basketball. He's a willing defender. He's a pretty good passer. Oh, and he's 6'9". <laughs> so that fits right in with yeah. what the Raptors want. He's, yeah, he's 6'9". Um, so those last couple of spots, might, one spot might come down to Josh Jackson. I don't know what... I think he's going to have a hard time. I, I remember Josh being a pretty high draft pick uh, yeah, two, two years ago, three years ago maybe now? now no, maybe now about four. Is it okay, getting into four? Yeah. Right. Uber athlete. Uber athlete. Like an, like fourth overall. Exactly. Super high pick. Yeah. So once again, a guy who's bounced around the league. And, and why does that happen with top picks? Uh, it's a lack of development. It's, it's sometimes it's attitude. But I think this guy's attitude's in the right place. It's opportunity. If you get drafted by a team that is not open to giving you the opportunity necessary for you to develop, it's, it's a tough thing in the NBA because you get slotted. And I think that may have happened to Josh Jackson, which is why we've seen him move around. But now he's come into a situation with the Raptors where there's aren't, there are very few spots available. Um, so it's going to be very hard for him to make it. But he's got a two-way contract, I think. Yeah. So he can be uh, shunted to the 905 and kept around. Yeah, he fits the Raptors' mold, right? He's long, he's 6'8". Super athletic. Very athletic. Yeah. Plays defense. Yeah. You know, but there was always something for me when I watched him play in college at Kansas. He was such a super athlete that I think it hid his deficiencies. Yeah. And I just think he's, he's lacking in shooting. He can hit a shot, but I just don't. I, now, I've only seen him in the one game, but I have seen him play in the NBA and mm -hmm. very inconsistent shooter. Yeah. And that's the thing that, that worries me because... Well, that, well, then he's come to the right place because one of the things the Raptors do is they, they are shot doctors, man. They have a way of turning guys who aren't great shooters into, into reasonable NBA shooters. See, but the thing is, I think the Raps have so many people on their roster that can do what he already does mm -hmm. well. Yeah. That you don't necessarily, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't your father's Raptors. You don't necessarily need to take a broken guy. Yeah. And fix him and have everyone go, look at that. Look how that guy improved. On the well, I, well, to that end, though, I think they brought him in for a reason. They don't bring guys in just to bring them in, right? You bring them in because you see something in them yeah, that you think will benefit your organization. Life, I think that's, yeah. That's their philosophy. Yeah. But also, you got to be able to put the ball in the hoop, right? That, I mean, because at the end of the day, you got to score points. So I think that the Raptors see in Josh Jackson something that they like, enough of what they like 
to bring him in and offer him a two-way contract because let's face it you don't bring guys into your environment unless you have an idea that they can help to that end uh, a guy like DJ Wilson is definitely on the bubble for the Raptors yeah, again. Like it seems like he's been on the bubble since we first became became known to us. Yeah, well, it came in three ten days. Back yeah, back. So, which I, tells you what they think of him, right? Yeah, they kept renewing him. But yeah. after a point, you got to keep him on your roster. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and they, but they brought him back. Um, yeah, this guy can. He's streaky. He does everything okay. He does everything nice. Yeah, but... Not super great at anything, but he does everything nice. Yeah, see, that's the thing, though. Defensively is where I'm worried about him. Yeah. Because I don't... The Raptors switch so much... Yeah. ...that I don't know who he plays. Like, a guy like Pascal, you forget sometimes that he's 6'9", because he can switch out on anyone. Yeah. DJ Wilson can't switch out on, on anyone. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think he would have a hard time... Well, I know he, he, he can't guard either the one or two guard positions if there are those anymore mm-hmm. maybe not even a three so he's he's an issue for you defensively I want to I know we're moving quick Christian Coloco where do you see do you see him getting minutes um yeah yeah seven foot one Cameroonian right yeah yeah you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to me to see him um as a, as a part of that it, I won't call it a bench squad but the bench unit that they're going to put together because here's the thing about it with him. Um, you watch him play. He's got good feet. He's got yeah. good hands. Um, those are two things in a big man. You kind of want, you talk about getting out and, and being able to shield or, yeah. you know, fend off ones and twos and threes for a seven foot one guy. He's shown you the ability to do that. That's important because if you're a guy that can get out and guard in Nick nurse's estimation, that makes you valuable. If, and also, let me finish here. If you can block shots, it makes He's you valuable. Blocker, yeah. And he is a shot blocker. Yeah. If you can finish around the rim at seven foot one, if you can end plays, you're, 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 you're a plus player in Nick's estimation. And he's shown the ability to do all of those things. Now, whether he'll get the chance to do them consistently, given the Raptors' makeup, is the thing. But I think there's, there's definitely a place for him on this team. No question. Is he going, he's not going to be on the floor enough to add the real element that I think the Raptors need, which is shot blocking. That's the real element. They were surprisingly good, the top half of the, the top third of the league, high top third in, in rebounding, but it's, you know, rebounding by committee. Mm-hmm. But this guy is a rim runner and he can rebound. But I just don't see, uh, obviously, the shot blocking. I, I watched him uh, a few times in Arizona because I was watching Canadian, Benedict Matherin. Yep. And the, he, his offense really consists of six-foot jump shots and dunks. Mm-hmm. They didn't run any offense for him. And I, what I saw in the lone game that I saw is even um, down low, he's, he's very, I mean, seven-foot-one, but he's very robotic down low. He's not smooth. So my question to you, the Raptors have done this. He's a second-round pick. You start him in the 905. Oh, there's no question he's going to see tons of time with the 905. That's a given. But I really think that they're just watching him in the practices I've seen. You watch this guy. One, he's already developed a bit of a camaraderie with Fred. That's a smart yeah. move on his part. <laughs> but um, anytime you get a guy who's 7'1 and can roll to the rim and you can, he's a lob threat, which this guy is, and you can finish, well, you're going to find time for guys like that particularly because of his utility at the defensive end, right? You've already made yourself useful to the team. Now, if you can continue that usefulness for the full 94, well, you, you, you know, you're going to see some time. And there are teams and games and, and parts of the schedule where the Raptors are going to need a big guy. Look, rim protection for the Raptors is always, is always going to be a committee thing because they've got guys who are athletic and long enough to defend the rim against most teams. But a deterrent comes from having someone who's big back there. Because it's a visual, it's not just a visual deterrent, it's a psychological deterrent. No, you know that there's a seven-footer back there. Sure. They're going to swat your stuff if you bring it in here. See, That's, I, I, I thought that was a real deficiency on the Raptors. I, don't, I didn't see the shot blocker. They didn't have that. I didn't see the rim protection. But they so. did have that. You know, Precious Achua is a shot blocker. Pascal Siakam's a shot blocker. And Scotty Barnes is a shot no, blocker. They can block a shot. Right, but, but they... Well, I would I call them look I call them shot blockers because that that that's part of their defensive package. Sure, but I would say I would and without looking at the stats, I would say they all average 
one shot block a game. I mean, I don't consider that shot blocking, which I do Coloco. I definitely. Well, yeah, no, I see there. We're getting into the. we're getting into that whole this is that kind of thing, okay. because to me, it, what what Coloco is more than a sh- he's a rim protector, because of that whole thing about the deterrent I'm talking about. Yeah. It's not just that he's blocking shots; he puts it into your mind that you cannot come in here, so he doesn't necessarily have to block a shot to, in effect, block a shot. You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. That, but you know the other guys, they have to block shots. They're not deterring you from going to the rim. But they're going to block shots. So that's why I call them shot blockers. And that's why I see Coloco as a rim protector. By the way, I I forgot about Chris Boucher, who I consider a shot blocker. He is a shot blocker. Um, and but, a rim protector. But I, I'm actually, I just looked at the stats from last year. I'm a little shocked. He only blocked 0.9 shots a game? He was down last year. Wow. It was, it was a down year for him in terms of wow. shot blocking. I would have thought that he... No, that was definitely a down year for him. And I remember looking at that last year and thinking, oh, that's interesting. And that could be a function of him, uh, you know, just being in better position to not have to block as many yeah. shots. Yeah. But anyway, but anyway, a, a Christian Coloco, fine player, um, definitely going to see a lot of time at the 905. Um, I really think that that's a good place for us to wrap this up. Uh, the NBA season is going to start uh, ramping up in terms of their preseason yeah. games in the next couple of days. So we'll have a whole lot of news to talk about from around the league. Things we haven't touched on that uh, are going to be definitely fodder for discussion yeah, in the next podcast. The yeah, well, whatever. You know. New Zealand, uh, what's the 36ers? Yeah, that's not first the first. ever in the NBA uh, World Series. Yeah, well, you know, that that's, what do you make of that, I right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blame Robert Sauber. Um, the whole deal with all these superstars coming back after being out a year. We'll get into that in our next podcast for sure because we'll have more to talk about in terms of... Yeah, no question. Got to shout out Jamal, man. Who does not love Jamal Murray? Soon to be a Raptor in five years. (laughs) But yeah, man, that's it for episode three of the Puck and Hoop podcast. Uh, Episode four, we're coming up. Thanks for listening.